Chapter One of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Narration by Winona McGee. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter One. The opening scene of this tale took place in a little village on the southern coast of Cornwall. Treby, by that name we choose to designate a spot whose true one, for several reasons, will not be given, was indeed rather a hamlet than a village, although being at the seaside there were two or three houses which, by dint of green paint and chintz curtains, pretended to give the accommodation of apartments furnished to the few bathers who, having heard of its cheapness, seclusion, and beauty, now and then resorted thither from the neighboring towns this part of cornwall shares much of the peculiar and exquisite beauty which every englishman knows adorns the sweet shire of devon the hedges near treby like those round dawlish and torquay are redolent with a thousand flowers the neighbouring fields are pranked with all the colours of flora its soft air the picturesque bay in which it stood as it were enshrined its red cliffs and verdure reaching to the very verge of the tide all breathe the same festive and genial atmosphere the cottages give the same promise of comfort and are adorned by nature with more luxurious loveliness than the villas of the rich in a less happy climate treby was almost unknown yet whoever visited it might well prefer its sequestered beauties to many more renowned competitors Situated in the depths of a little bay, it was sheltered on all sides by the cliffs. Just behind the hamlet, the cliff made a break, forming a little ravine, in the depth of which ran a clear stream, on whose banks were spread the orchards of the villagers, whence they derived their chief wealth. Tangled bushes and luxuriant herbage diversified the cliffs, some of which were crowned by wood, and in every nook and coin of vantage were to be seen and scented the glory of that coast as exhaustless store of flowers the village was as has been said in the depth of a bay towards the east the coast rounded off with a broad sweep forming a varied line of bay and headland to the west a little promontory shot out abruptly and at once closed in the view this point of land was the peculiarity of treby the cliff that gave it its picturesque appearance was not high but was remarkable for being crowned by the village church with its slender spire long may it be before the village churchyard ceases to be in england a favourite spot the home of rural and holy seclusion at treby it derived a new beauty from its distance from the village and the eminence on which it was placed overlooking the white ocean the sands the village itself with its gardens orchards and gaily painted fields from the church a straggling steep yet not impracticable path led down to the sands by way of the beach indeed the distance from the village to the church was scarcely more than half a mile yet no vehicle could approach except by the higher road which following the line of coast measured nearly two miles the edifice itself picturesque in its rustic simplicity seemed at the distance to be embosomed in a neighbouring grove there was no house nor even cottage near the contiguous churchyard contained about two acres a light white paling surrounded it on three sides 
On the fourth was a high wall, clothed thickly in ivy. The trees of the near wood overhung both wall and paling, except on the side of the cliff. The waving of their branches, the murmur of the tide, and the occasional scream of sea-fowl were all the sounds that disturbed, or rather harmonized, with the repose and solitude of the spot. On Sunday, the inhabitants of several hamlets congregated here to attend divine service. Those of Treby, usually approached by the beach and the path of the cliff, the old and infirm only taking the longer but more easy road. On every other day of the week all was quiet, except when the hallowed precincts were visited by happy parents with the newborn babe, by bride and groom hastening all gladly to enter on the joys and cares of life, or by the train of mourners who attended relation or friend to the last repose of the dead. The poor are not sentimental, and except on Sunday, after evening service, when a mother might linger for a few moments near the fresh grave of a lately lost child, or loitering among the rustic tombs, some of the elder peasants told stories of the feats of the dead, companions of their youth, a race unequaled, so they said, by the generation around them. Save on that day, none ever visited or wandered among the graves, with the exception of a child who had early learned to mourn, yet whose infantine mind could scarcely understand the extent of the cause she had for tears. A little girl, unnoticed and alone, was wont each evening to trip over the sands, to scale with light steps the cliff, which was of no gigantic height, and then unlatching the low white gate of the churchyard, to repair to one corner, where the boughs of the near trees shadowed over two graves, two graves of which only one was distinguished by a simple headstone to commemorate the name of him who mouldered beneath. This tomb was inscribed to the memory of Edwin Rabbey, but the neighboring and less honored grave claimed more of the child's attention, for her mother lay beneath the unrecorded turf. Beside this grassy hillock she would sit and talk to herself and play, till, warned home by the twilight, she knelt and said her little prayer and with a good night, Mamma, took leave of a spot with which was associated the being whose caresses and love she called to mind, hoping that one day she might again enjoy them. Her appearance had much in it to invite remark, had there been any one who cared to notice a poor little orphan. Her dress, in some of its parts, betokened that she belonged to the better classes of society, but she had no stockings, and her little feet peeped from the holes of her well-worn shoes. Her straw bonnet was dyed dark with sun and sea spray, and its blue ribbon faded. The child herself would, in any other spot, have attracted more attention than the incongruities of her attire. There is an expression of face which we name angelic, from its purity, its tenderness, and, so to speak, plaintive serenity, which we oftener see in young children than in persons of a more advanced age. And such was hers. Her hair, of a light golden brown, was parted over a brow fair and open as day. Her eyes, deep-set and earnest, were full of thought and tenderness. Her complexion was pure and stainless, except by the roses that glowed in her cheek, while each vein could be traced on her temples, and you could almost mark the flow of the violet-colored blood beneath. Her mouth was the very nest of love. 
Her serious look was at once fond and imploring, but when she smiled, it was as if sunshine broke out at once, warm and unclouded. Her figure had the plumpness of infancy, but her tiny hands and feet and tapering waist denoted the faultless perfection of her form. She was about six years old, a friendless orphan, cast thus young, penniless on a thorny, stone-hearted world. Nearly two years previous, a gentleman, with his wife and little daughter, arrived at Treby and took up his abode at one of the moderate-priced lodging-houses before mentioned. The occasion of their visit was but too evident. The husband, Mr. Rabby, was dying of a consumption. The family had migrated early in September, so to receive the full benefit of a mild winter in this favored spot. It did not appear to those about him that he could live to see that winter. He was wasted to a shadow. The hectic in his cheek, the brightness of his eyes, and the debility apparent in every movement showed that disease was triumphing over the principles of life. Yet, contrary to every prognostic, he lived on from week to week, month to month. Now he was said to be better, now worse, and thus a winter of extraordinary mildness was passed. But with the east winds of spring a great deterioration was visible. His invalid walks in the sun grew shorter, and then were exchanged for a few minutes past sitting in his garden. Soon he was confined to his room, then to his bed. During the first week of a bleak, ungenial May, he died. The extreme affection that subsisted between the pair rendered his widow an object of interest even to the villagers. They were both young, and she was beautiful, and more beautiful was their offspring, the little girl we have mentioned, who, watched over and attended on by her mother, attracted admiration as well as interest by the peculiar style of her childish yet perfect loveliness. Every one wondered what the bereaved lady would do, and she, poor soul, wondered herself, and would sit watching the gambols of her child in an attitude of unutterable despondency, till the little girl, remarking the sadness of her mother, gave over playing to caress and kiss her and to bid her smile at such a word the tears fell fast from the widow's eyes and the frightened child joined her sobs and cries to hers whatever might be the sorrows and difficulties of the unhappy lady it was soon evident to all but herself that her own life was a fragile tenure she had attended on her husband with unwearied assiduity and added to bodily fatigue was mental suffering, partly arising from anxiety and grief, and partly from the very virtues of the sufferer. He knew that he was dying, and tried to reconcile his wife to her anticipated loss. But his words, breathing the most passionate love and purest piety, seemed almost to call her also from the desolation to which he was leaving her, and to dissolve the ties that held her to earth. When he was gone, life possessed no one attraction except their child. Often, while her father, with pathetic eloquence, tried to pour the balm of resignation and hopes of eternal reunion into his wife's heart, she had sat on her mother's knee or on a little stool at her feet and looked up with her cherub face, a little perplexed and a little fearful, till at some words of too plain and too dread an import 
she sprung into her father's arms and clinging to his neck amid tears and sobs cried out you must not leave us papa you must stay you shall not go away consumption in all countries except our own is considered a contagious disorder and it too often proves such here during her close attendance mrs rabby had imbibed the seeds of the fatal malady and grief and a delicate texture of nerves caused them to develop with alarming rapidity every one perceived this except herself she thought that her indisposition sprung from over-fatigue and grief but that repose would soon restore her and each day as her flesh wasted and her blood flowed more rapidly she said i shall be better to-morrow there was no one at treby to advise or assist her she was not one of those who make friends and intimates of all who fall in their way she was gentle considerate courteous but her refined mind shrunk from displaying its deep wounds to the vulgar and unfeeling after her husband's death she had written several letters which she carefully put into the post-office herself going on purpose to the nearest post-town three miles distant she had received one in answer and it had the effect of increasing every fatal symptom through the anguish and excessive agitation it excited sometimes she talked of leaving treby but she delayed till she should be better which time the villagers plainly saw would never come but they were not aware how awfully near the crisis really was one morning her husband had now been dead about four months she called upon the woman of the house in which she lodged there was a smile on her face and a pink spot burnt brightly in each cheek while her brow was ashy pale there was something ghastly in the very gladness her countenance expressed yet she felt nothing of all of this but said the newspaper you lent me had good news in it mrs baker it tells me that a dear friend of mine is arrived in england whom i thought still on the continent i am going to write to her will you let your daughter take my little girl a walk while i write mrs baker consented the child was equipped and sent out while her mother sat down to write in about an hour she came out of her parlour mrs baker saw her going toward the garden she tottered as she walked so the woman hastened to her thank you she said i feel strangely faint i had much to say and that letter has unhinged me i must finish it to-morrow now the air will restore me i can scarcely breathe mrs baker offered her arm the sufferer walked faintly and feebly to a little bench and sitting down supported herself by her companion her breath grew shorter she murmured some words mrs baker sat down but could catch only the name of her child which was the last word that hovered on the mother's lips with one sigh her heart ceased to beat and life left her exhausted frame the poor one screamed loudly for help as she felt her press heavily against her and then sliding from her seat sink lifeless on the ground end of chapter one narrated by winona mcgee